Welcome to the Bedford First Assembly of God podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We'd love to hear what God is doing through this ministry. If you have a story to share, send us an email at connect at bedfordfirstag.org. Also, feel free to visit our website at bedfordfirstag.org. You can view the live stream of our services and find out more about our church. Thanks for listening. I believe the, the Lord has laid out some things for me uh, as we begin now the real work of what we're doing here. You know, we've kind of had the last few weeks. Our first Sunday was Easter. That was fun. And then I preached, and then Pastor Don was here, and now this is week number four for us being here. And um, we're, we're beginning to settle a little bit into things. And I believe that the Lord has asked me to share a series. It's at least a four-part series. It may be longer than that, um, where I talk about where I think we're going. And God gave me the illustration of a house. Now, for those of you that are, um, uh, have really good memories, you'll recognize the sermon that I'm about to preach from you, for you today is actually the sermon I preached when I tried out, tried out via video across the ocean. <laughs> One of the weirdest experiences of my life. Um, and, and, and I asked the Lord about it. I'm like, Lord, I can't re-preach a sermon, especially in the same church that, that I preached it already. And he goes, I don't care. And he told me I had to. So this is what we're going to do this morning. But it's the first part of a series called Build This House, where I want to lay out, using the illustration of construction, some things that I think are really important, some things that we're going to endeavor to do as we move through the course, really specifically of this next, the remainder of this year. Um, yeah, you're... You're, you're too far. Come back. And, and so we want to begin. Um, oh, no, you're right. You're exactly right. I'm so sorry. I'm all over the joint. I got no, my own notes I'm not reading up here. So we believe that the first step in building a house is getting a good blueprint. That's the first step in getting a good house is having the right blueprint. So today, when we're talking about building this house, we're talking about the blueprint. What does this house need to look like? If you will open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, um, we'll begin uh, there, and then we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, 25, I'll have it up on the, the screens for you. Um, Ian, Ian always asked me what uh, um, translation I use. He says, because it really bothers me when you have one up there or you read from one that's different than mine. I don't like mine being different because it throws him. So this is the ESV. It's the standard, the, the translation I use most commonly is ESV, and that's what this comes from. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. We find a parallel passage to this in Luke chapter 6, um, which is the next slide. There we go. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the, street, uh, the stream broke against the house, could not shake it because it had been built. These are parallel passages talking about the same thing, and I want to use them today as the foundation for understanding what our blueprint is. Would you bow your heads with me as I pray? Father, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. I thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. I thank you for a chance to be with your people. Lord, as you have laid this message upon my heart, Lord, as you've laid these series of messages upon my heart, Father, I pray that you would speak to us about building our house about building this house, about building our house. Lord, that we would, would have ears to hear what you would say to us, that we would have hearts to receive it, minds to understand it, and spirits to accept it. Father, I pray that you would be with me as I speak, not because I'm worthy, Lord, but because of your grace and because I'm speaking in accordance with your will. Father, we ask that you would bless these words because they're your words spoken through me. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. These two passages are intended to be used in an individual scale. They're really speaking about us as individuals, and we should absolutely apply them as individuals. But I, I, as I read these verses some now many months ago, um, I, I thought about this place. When you speak of a house, we often refer to this as the house of the Lord. Church is the house of God. And, and it got my mind thinking about what are the things that we want to see accomplished in this place? What is the blueprint that we want to follow up? So I realize these verses are intended to be individually applied, and I would like you to do that. But I want to, for the next few weeks, apply them to us as a body of believers, a community of believers here at First Assembly of God. 
uh, in Bedford, Indiana. I don't know why I have to say in Bedford, Indiana. We all know where we are, but it just comes out that way. I'm not sure what's wrong with me, but there it is. I want you to notice he uses a term, the wise. The wise. This is coming from uh, uh, the first passage I read. The wise. That word caught me. The wise. The wise do something. The wise man builds his house. And if you look at these two pieces of Scripture together, there are three things that the wise do. They come close, they listen, and they build. First, they come close. This is about proximity to the Lord. If we're going to be wise builders, the very first thing we have to do is come close to Jesus. The very first thing we have to do is draw near to Him. If He is the author and the finisher of, of our faith, if He is the one that we get our strength from, we get our joy from, we get our hope from, if He's the one who gives us endurance, if He's the one who gives us all of these things, then we have to be near Him. This word is a word of proximity. Now, I can say, I suppose in a global perspective, I'm close to Larry Wagner. But really, none of us would say, I'm close. Now, I'm getting closer. I'm getting much closer. But I would only say I'm close when I'm right here. So many of us want to come to church and do the bare minimum. We want to read our Bible and do the bare minimum. We want to navigate the journey of walking with Jesus and do the bare minimum. Lord, how little do I have to do to still be okay? Am I the only one who's ever had that thought? Oh, come on now, church. We've all had that thought if you've, if you've loved the Lord for a little while. <laughs> Lord, I'd like to not get in trouble today, and I'd like to do just enough to be okay, please. <laughs> We've all been there. But the question is, how close can we get to Him? Now, I, I love this, and this is a, a theme that you're going to hear through everything that I say and do. We're not drawing near to a, a, a thing. We're drawing near to a Him. We're drawing near to a person. What should separate us from everything else that calls itself a religion is that we pursue and have a relationship with somebody. And that relationship begins by drawing close to Him. And I realize that's terrifying. Because the closer you get, the more you can see stuff wrong with somebody. Gavin, you look fantastic at a distance this morning. <laughs> right? We want, we want that distance because once you get close, you can see all the stuffs. I got hair in my ears. I got hair grown places it should never be. Please just look at me at a distance because when you get close, you're like, oh, your nose really is crooked. Right? Closeness scares us because closeness exposes our impurities. It exposes our humanity. But the reality is, is Jesus says, come close to me because let's be honest, he sees you anyway. Like we think by staying at a distance, we can somehow fool God. <laughs> Good luck with that. Hasn't worked for me yet. I try and run and he's like, yeah, I know where you are. I still see you. I see everything. And he invites us to come close. Are you, are you pursuing him this morning? Are you coming close to him. In, in your own way, we're all going to do it in different ways. We're all going to be at different places. But is there a desire first to draw close? Second thing he says is for us that we have to listen. He says, whoever hears these words of mine. You know, in order to hear words, there has to be someone speaking. We believe that Jesus still speaks. We celebrated Easter a few weeks ago. That we believe that he rose from the grave and that He sits at the right hand of the Father. We believe that through His Spirit, He still speaks to us. Not in a weird way. Not in a way that's crazy. You know, some people in church are like, step away from the pulpit. They can be weird. Have you met some of those people? But, but don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Jesus still speaks. And in fact, he wants to speak to you. But oddly enough, he's really not into yelling. I love yelling. I'm a big fan of yelling. I can remember, my parents are, are here again. My mom and dad are in the back. Hi, mom and dad. And I can remember my dad on many, many, many occasions going, Christopher, must you be loud all of the time? Do you remember that, dad? I'm sure you do. It, my sisters would scream and my mother would say, Christopher, come here immediately. Because inevitably, I was the source of their screaming. And my dad would say, Christopher, must you be loud all of the time? And I was always hurt by that. 
not trying to be loud. I'm just loud. Aaron Wagner, where are you? Aaron, where are you? He said it yesterday. I was, Larry was over at our house, and he goes, is, are you with Chris Stubbs? Because he drowns everybody out in the room. <laughs> Apparently, the Lord knew what I was called to and gave me a preacher voice. I don't know what to say. But you know, Jesus, Jesus prefers just speaking softly. He prefers speaking closely. The question is not, is he speaking? The question is, are we listening? Are we hearing? Are we hanging on to what it is that he has to say? Are we even inviting him into that space to speak to us? That's a terrifying thing because we're worried that he's going to point out all of our faults. We're worried he's going to stick his finger on us and go, well, there's that and there's that and there's that and there's that. That's a South African expression. Put your thumb on somebody. I guess I, I need to clarify that. Put your thumb on someone is like a way of oppressing them. I don't know why thumb. I don't, I'm not sure why, but that's a, a thing. It's just occurring to me now that's a South African expression. We're worried he's going to point out our faults. We're worried all he's going to notice, and yet we talk all the time about how he loves us. He talk all the time about how he calls us adopted into his family. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like noticing my kids' faults. In fact, I prefer not to, sometimes to their detriment and my own detriment. But the reality is God may point out some stuff, true, but usually for your benefit. Hey, you should stop doing that because it messes you up. And yet, too often, we, we don't even want to hear because we're worried about what he's going to say. And I would invite you, I think he has more to say to you than just what's wrong with you. I think he has a lot of good things and encouraging things and strengthening things to say to you. The third thing that the wise do is they build. This word is an interesting word. I, 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 I'm going to say over and over again, I, I'm captured by words. Words have power, especially, especially verbs. Verbs have power. So this word build... What does it mean? It means to construct. Well, that makes sense. That's pretty obvious. Thanks, Pastor. I'm glad you went to Bible school for that. <laughs> it means to make more able. It means to restore, rebuild, or repair. And it means to found or establish on the right thing. So when we use this word build, it's not just simply constructing something, but it comes with this idea that the work that is taking place strengthens, it makes enabling, it's, it's capacity building, it's, it's endurance building, it's repairing, it's restoring. This idea of building a house carries with it not just the idea of brand new construction, but it carries with it the idea of increased competency. When my house is built well, it has greater capacity than a house that's built poorly. That's just all there is to it. When we do something well, we increase its capacity. And so he says, the wise person, everyone who hears these words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It begins with wisdom. Luke says you must come close. we got to be near him. Says you Got to be listening, who hears these words of mine and then does something with them. That's something that we're called to do is to build. That's something is, as a church is to be all about building, to construct something, to make more able. Specifically, this word that's used is about constructing an inhabitant, a place to live and dwell. I want this church to be a place where we live and dwell where we find a home, we find belonging, this idea that we're building something, we're making something more able, we're restoring, we're repairing, we're established on the right thing. It matters. The second thing that I observe is it says that they dug deep. That's an interesting statement to me. They dug deep. He is like a man, it says in Luke, building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. Show that verse for me, please. Who dug deep. I don't like that word. I don't, I don't like it. If I'm digging a hole, I don't want to dig a deep hole. I want a shallow hole. Right? It's more work. I was listening to a comedian by the name of Nate Bargatze, and he's like, no wonder they got men to do these things. Digging holes is tough. I don't want to dig a deep hole, especially with a shovel. If I've got some kind of device, I'm good. But he's not talking about digging a hole. He's talking about how we allow the Lord and how we dig deep into the Lord, into the things of the Lord. We have to dig deep. I don't like that term. 
Maybe you do. You're much more spiritual than me. I don't like it because that inspires work. That, that, that means I got to sweat. That means I, I, I got to go after it, not in a way that's just enough, but in a way that gets me where it is that I want to be. See, he doesn't dig deep for no reason. They dig deep to get to a foundation. There's a place of building. There's a, a spot of building that we have to get to. If I, if I don't care one bit about what I'm building, I don't think about how deep I go. But we must dig deep enough for the structure that we want to build. I told our Bible college students all the time, if you want God to make out of your ministry a shack, then you don't have to dig any kind of foundation. But if you want God to make out of your ministry a strong tower, then you have to dig deep. I don't know if you've ever had been, watched a building go up, especially a big building. When I was in college, we were in downtown Minneapolis, and they were putting up a high-rise building. And the amount that they dug into the earth was shocking to me. You have to dig deep enough to be able to support the structure that you want to put up. And the reality is sometimes we want the Lord to build into our lives a strong tower, but we don't want him to dig anywhere in our lives. And it's not possible. If you want the Lord to be incredible, to be significant, to be, to be right there for you in your life, you have to allow him to dig deep into your life. And that means it's ugly. But it's ugly for all of us. You're not alone in the ugliness. Anyone wants to tell you that they're already perfect, the Bible says they're liars. We all have this ongoing process of digging and building and digging and building, and the Lord keeps driving. I said a few weeks ago, I remember as a, as a kid thinking, why does the Lord never let me get away with anything? It's because He's digging deep in you. It's because what He wants to build out of your life is not a shack. Because he wants to do a strong tower. If the Lord is going to build into this church something significant, he's going to have to dig deep. That means we have to let him. It means we have to allow him. It means we have to invite him. We have to draw close. We have to listen. And then we have to have a mind for building. But it begins by allowing him to dig deep. We have to dig for the structure that we want. And if all we want is to play church, then, then let's just close the doors and go home. But if what we want is to see souls saved, if we want to see men and women who are on their way to an eternity without Jesus turned around and headed back, if we want to see people discipled, if we want to people see uh, enabled, if we want to see people equipped and released, then we're going to have to allow the Lord to dig deep. If we want to see this place full, and I use the term we because there's zero chance that Amy and I can do it by ourselves. If we want to see this place full, if we want to see the promises that God spoke over this place years and years and years ago, then we're going to have to allow him to dig. That's all there is to it. As individuals and as a community of believers, we have to allow him to dig to the depth, to the structure that we want him to build out of our lives. And I've watched people over and over and over again in church settle for less because they don't want to allow him to dig. But I promise you, when you let him in, his digging is never for your detriment. His digging is never without purpose. God's not a jerk. This theology, jerkus negativus. God's not a jerk. He's just not. So if he's digging, there's a reason for it. There's purpose behind it. It's because he wants to do something in you and ultimately through you that's incredible. It's far greater than anything else. So we must dig deep enough for the structure that we want. We must dig deep enough to withstand the realities of life. When the wind comes and the storm blows, that's what they talk about. When the rain falls. I, some people have this crazy idea that when we come to Jesus, we have no more trouble. Sorry. Sorry. The rain still falls, doesn't it? Or am I the only one? The winds blow. What gives us the ability with Stand it is the depth at which the foundation goes in our lives. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. That's what the Word says. So it means that while sometimes He does deliver us from the storm, other times He carries us through the storm. He does both. 
And we have to allow him to dig in our lives in such a way that we can withstand. The reason that they withstood, this house withstood the storm was because the foundation was digging up all the way down to the rock. That's what the Word says. They dug deep. Verse 48 of Luke 6. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Where you lay your foundation matters. It, uh, we, we've got all kinds of people, and some of us have started building our houses off of the rock, and Jesus has begun sliding us over onto the rock. Some of us were born in church, we were raised in church, and hopefully we started building our houses on the rock straight away. Some of us started in church, wandered away for a little bit, and now our houses. I mean, think about trying to build a house on half a foundation. No one would ever do that. And so many of us oftentimes are trying to do that, and then we get frustrated with God. God, you're not there for me. God, you're not with me. God, you're not revealing yourself. My question is, where are you laying your foundation? What is your foundation? And it says here that it's got to be on the rock. Now, over and over again in Scripture, Jesus is referred to a rock. Psalm 18 says God is called a rock two times. He's called a fortress. He's called a deliverer. He's called a refuge. He's called shield. He's called salvation. He's called a stronghold. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Jesus is called our spiritual rock. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in Psalms 118 and Ephesians 2, he's described as a cornerstone. Jesus is over and over and over referred to in terms of rock, in terms of foundation, in terms of that thing that you can begin to build upon. So we have to dig deep and get to the rock. The rock is Jesus. That's who we're going to build on if we're going to build anything that's going to stand the test of time. That's who we're going to build on as individuals and as a community of believers. That's who we're going to build on if we're going to have anything that lasts and does anything of spiritual significance. Jesus is the rock. Therefore, Jesus is our blueprint. You notice my, my beautiful blueprint up there. I like that picture. There were other ones. I just like that picture. But a blueprint speaks to me of what's possible. It speaks of something that's thought out. It speaks of something that guides our actions. It speaks of something that gives us something to aim at. I remember when they were building this building, and I remember thinking, how do you even begin? Where do you even start? And it all goes back to the blueprint. The blueprint tells you where to go from nothing to something. And Jesus is our blueprint. If He's the rock, if He's what we're supposed to be founded on, then He is our blueprint. I want to take some time this morning to talk a little bit about Jesus. Because if He's who we're supposed to look like, then we ought to know what He looks like. I think that makes sense to me. First thing I want you to notice about Jesus is He is united with His Father. The, the most primal thing, the, the, the most important thing to know about Jesus is that He is united with His Father. John chapter 10, He says, I and the Father are one. John chapter 12 says, if you see me, you see my Father who sent me. Jesus and the Father have such a state of togetherness, it allows instant and continual flowing of ideas, instruction, encouragement, and strength. Jesus is so close to the Father, they're one. And what that oneness allows them to have is everything that Jesus needs. It gives them creativity. It gives them the right ideas. It gives them the right thoughts. It gives him the right instruction. It encourages him. Jesus goes away and spends time with his Father when he needed encouragement. He goes away when he needed times of strength. You're here this morning and you're feeling weak. How's your unity with the Father? You're here this morning and you're feeling needing some encouragement How's your unity with the Father? And, and I think as a church, how's our unity with the Father? Their togetherness was the ingredient that allowed him to experience all the things that he did in oneness with the Father. The unity of Jesus and his Father is the foundation of everything he says and does. This unity allows him to remain in step with the Father and be truly successful in everything that he does. You know, Jesus never failed at anything. He didn't. He even cursed a tree and it died. I think that was kind of mean. Right? And maybe it's just me. Tree, I curse you. It's done. 
I've always wanted to do that. Just because, for no good reason. But it's his unity with his Father that allows him to be successful in everything that he does. So the very first thing that I think we need to know about our church is that we have to be united. We want to build a house that is striving towards unity with the Father. We want to build a house that looks like Jesus and the Father. That's going to take work. That's going to take consistency. That's going to take time. And that's going to take the reality that none of us are going to succeed perfectly at that. And if anyone tells you that they walk in perfect unity with the Father, you should not believe them. But aren't all of us striving for that same thing if we call ourselves Christians? Aren't we striving to be unified with Him, to, to, to walk in closeness with Him? That's what He says. Draw close. So the first thing that we notice about Jesus is that He's united with His Father. We want to build a house that is pushing towards unity with the Father. When people walk in, they think, man, those people walk with Jesus. Not because we're perfect. Oh, not because we're perfect. In spite of our imperfections, we walk with Him. Second thing I want you to see is He is listening and acting on what His Father says. John chapter 12, I only say what the Father tells me to say. John chapter 5, I only do what I see the Father doing. These two statements amaze me. So that means, let's go back to the cursing of the fig tree, that the Father said to him, hey, go over and curse that fig tree. I wonder what that, did Jesus question, did it be like, I'm sorry, did you say curse the fig tree, Father? I mean, Jesus does some weird stuff. Hey, go spit in the dirt and wipe it on that guy's eye. You better make sure you heard from Jesus. Some weird stuff in Scripture, right? There's some odd things there. And yet Jesus says, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. His, he is listening and acting on what His Father says. That is an ongoing situation. I'm actively listening to my Father. Again, it, proximity is so important to that. Oh, Lord, I want to hear from you. Well, are you standing near him? Are you next to him? Are you in a position of hearing? I guarantee if Ken starts talking to me up there, trying to give me, you thought you were safe in the booth. You're not safe in the booth. Ken starts talking to me. I have no clue what he's saying. Why? Because we're separated. Ken gets out of the sound booth, comes walking down here, comes stands next to me, and he says, hey, uh, I can hear him. This is the issue of proximity. It's much easier to listen when you're close. It's much easier to listen when you don't have junk between you and them. His Father's words are what guide Him and direct Him. His Father's words are what guide Him and direct Him. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. He was listening to the Word. He was listening to what His Father was saying and speaking to Him. His Father's words were the foundation of His life. They're the foundation because they're unmoving. God's Word doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what it says. So we can trust in this. We can build on this. We can know this. We can be assured that this is what we can build our lives on. Even when it's not easy, even when it challenges us, even when it pushes us, we can still know that this is the word that we need to listen to. This is the word that we need to build our lives on. And as a church, this is what we're going to build on. This right here. As much as I think my own thoughts are magnificent, don't we all? As much as we all think our own thoughts are perfect, we're going to come back to this because this is unchanging. I'm changing. I can't decide what side of the planet I want to live on. But this never changes. So we're going to build on this. We're going to build on His Word. We want to build a house that is listening and acting on what God says. We're interested in what He says. Now, for those of you that have studied it all, you know that the English word word, are you with me? The English word word in our Bibles actually comes from two Greek words. One's called logos and one's called rhema. Those are Greek words. 
and there's subtle shades of meaning between the two. A logos word is a principle. It's, a, it's most commonly a written down word. So we would liken scriptures to the logos word of God. And then there is this rhema word, which is a spoken word. It's when words get spoken to somebody. This is kind of an active ongoing. And as I think about these two things, we want to build a house that's listening to the word of God. What word of God? To this word of God. Absolutely to the logos, to the written, to the principles, but also to the rhema word of God. We believe that God still speaks today. We believe that he speaks uh, to each one of us as individuals. We believe he speaks to us as a church. We're going to listen to the rhema word. Now the rhema word always gets weighed against the logos word. Always gets taken back to scripture. Someone shows up and gives a rhema word and it disagrees with scripture. Guess what? It may be a rhema word, but it's not his rhema word. So we're going to listen to what it is that he's saying to us. And we're going to believe that the Lord is going to continue to speak to us. And we're going to give place for him to speak to us. Because we believe he is speaking, he has spoken. Through this word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, it continues to speak to us. And we believe that he does speak through words of wisdom and words of knowledge and words of prophecy. We must correctly understand what he's already said, and we must be actively listening to what he is saying. Do you understand what I'm saying to you this morning? We must act then on what he has and is saying. You know, one of the dangers of this book is there's some stuff in here we don't like. I mean, let's just be honest. There's bits in here I don't like. I must die to self. Die to self? That's ugly, Jesus. I don't like that. There's some stuff in here that's hard. Am I the only one? Help me out here. I'm used to Africans that yell at me the whole time. Right? There's stuff we don't like, but we don't get to ignore the bits we don't like. We don't get to edit out the bits that we don't like. We need to navigate them. We need to understand them correctly. We need to rightly divide the word of truth. That's what Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy. But the reality is, is we don't get to edit bits out. Yeah, I've read it. I understand it. I just don't like it. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. So we're going to listen, and we're going to act on what it is that Jesus says. We're going to listen. We're going to act on what the Father is saying to us. Jesus was listening and acting. Third thing, Jesus is committed to his Father's will. John chapter 4 and John chapter 6 says, I have come not to do my will, but the will of the one who sent me. His purpose was not to serve his own will, but the will of his Father. Jesus was committed to his Father's will. That meant the, the one deciding things for him was not himself. The one deciding things for him was his Father. Walking in our God-given purpose causes unity among the body as we find God-ordained position in the body, and this invites peace between its members as we individually and corporately work to fulfill His purpose. And this always results in His blessing and glory reflecting back to the Father. When we are committed to the Father's will, we find our place inside of that will. You all have a place inside of the Father's will. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. The question is not, does he have those things for you? The question is, are you committed to his will? Because when we commit to his will, we find our position, we find our place, and that changes over time. There was a time I was the youth pastor here. There was a time that I wasn't here. Now there's the time that I'm the lead pastor here, senior pastor. I haven't decided what I'm calling myself yet. But as we navigate, yes, there are changes in seasons, but the reality is, is as long as we're committed to His will, those changes in seasons help us to fit in together. There is nobody that's wasted in the kingdom of God. You all have purpose. You all have a place to fill. There's no place of pew-sitter in the kingdom of God. I get to come in, sit down, do nothing, and leave. That's not how Jesus works. Because Jesus is committed to his Father's will, we need to be committed to his Father's will. Yes, our Father does bless us. As we commit ourselves, there is blessing, but that blessing is intended to spill over us to other people. What God blesses you with is intended to be a blessing to other people. It's never just for yourself. 
We want to build a house that is committed to our Father's will, not serving ourselves, but walking in our God-given purpose individually and collectively. I believe that God has a will for this church. I believe God has a purpose for this church. And it's only going to happen when all of us collectively commit to that will and jump in with all of ourselves. If you believed that Amy and I are coming to do everything and we're going to wave our magical wand and everything's going to, I don't even have a wand. I should. That was a good motion. But we don't. We have no magic formula. We don't have magic beans. We don't have, all we have is saying we're committed to the will of the Father. And that will, late last year, was to leave South Africa and to come here. And I believe that God has a purpose and a plan and a a will for this place, but it's going to take all of us. We must be committed to our Father's will. We must be committed. The fourth thing I want you to understand is that Jesus was propelled by his Father's hearts. Matthew chapter 18. I want you to turn with me. I don't have it up on the slides, but Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. Let's begin in verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 in the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He is propelled by his Father's heart to redeem, that he should buy back, that he should find, that he should relocate. He loves finding and restoring the lost one. Jesus has a heart for the lost one. We know that there is judgment that is coming, but the reality is we live right now in a time of mercy and grace, a time where we can reach out and find Him. The question is not, does the Father have a heart to redeem people? The question is, do we have a heart to redeem people? Are we interested in finding the lost, or do we love our own little social club? Are we interested in the mess that's going to come when we find the lost and bring them into church? I want you to know I am. You hired a former missionary to be your pastor. You didn't hire. We agreed that Jesus said we should come. That's how that works. You didn't hire me. But I love finding lost people. I moved to the other side of the planet so I could do it. You better believe we're going to do it here. My heart is the Father's heart. I want to see the lost people who don't know Jesus, who don't know how awesome he is, who don't know how cool he is, who don't get what he gives us. We want to find and redeem the lost ones. That's my Father's heart. He loves to redeem that which is lost. Luke chapter 4, I want you to go there. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. That's not on my slides either. We're throwing it in. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus is speaking. Because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's heart is not just to redeem, but to restore. I want you to see the verbs that are used there. He wants to preach good news. What's good news? You can be made right with Jesus. That's the good news. We have a way to stand before God and be right with God through Jesus. That's the good news. He says he is sent to proclaim freedom to those that are in captivity. He doesn't just take us. He doesn't just redeem us. He sets us free. Recovery of sight to the blind. He wants to help us to see things clearly, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He wants to preach. He wants to free. He wants to heal. He wants to recover sight. He wants to bring freedom, and he wants to bring blessing. He gives strength, he gives hope, he gives joy, he gives peace, he gives endurance. He binds up the wounds. He doesn't expose them. Jesus loves to restore. He takes us as we are. He just doesn't leave us as we are. Thank goodness. 
why I would want to stay the way I was, I can't imagine. And yet so many of us fight him all along the way. Lord, you can restore this section, but please don't restore this section. I really like this section. Yeah, but this section's killing you. I know, but I really like it. Stop. No, but I want to. But you're hurting yourself. It's like smacking yourself in the face and saying, no, I, I don't want to stop doing this. I like it. He wants to redeem. He wants to restore. He takes us as we are, but He never leaves us as we are, and I'm so grateful. When you look at these words, who doesn't want to be healed? Who doesn't want to be free? Who, doesn't have, who wants to remain blind? Who doesn't want freedom? Who doesn't want to live under the favor of God? Who doesn't want strength and hope and peace? Who doesn't want to have their wounds bound up? We have a massive medical industry because most of us are like, I'm sick. I don't want to be sick. Yet sometimes we approach Jesus and say, I'm sick. and Please just let me stay sick. And he's like, yeah, I, I like you too much to, to not do that. Jesus is propelled by his Father's heart. We want to build a house that is propelled by our Father's heart to introduce people to the Redeemer of our souls and the Restorer of our lives. Jesus has paid a price to redeem me. He's paid a price so He can buy me if I'll let Him. And then He wants to not just buy me, but He wants to restore me because I'm living in a way that's less than everything He has for me. No matter how long I live, he still has more to restore in me. That's good news. He is propelled by his Father's heart. The fifth thing I want you to understand is he is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 61 describe his spirit as a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of counsel, and a spirit of might. I don't know about you, but I want those things. I would appreciate a little more wisdom, a little more understanding. I would love your counsel, and especially that might part. I really want some of that spiritual might. That's how God describes his spirit. In Acts 10, he says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. I want those things. Jesus' ability comes from the Holy Spirit's. Now, I was describing this to our Bible college students one day, and I, and, and I want to describe it to you this way. Because Jesus was God, and that's always the excuse. Well, Jesus was God, and yes, it's true, He has the Spirit without measure, and we don't always get the Spirit without measure, but I explained it like this to them, because I had asked the Lord, help me to help these students understand. It's like having a car, but choosing to walk. I still own the car, I'm just not operating using the car. So when Jesus comes down, he sets aside his divinity. What he does is not done because he's driving the car. It's done because he's chosen to walk in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit was given so it can be an example to us that we can do the things that Jesus does. In fact, that's what it says. You'll do these things and even greater things, which kind of blows my mind. But it's like me saying, I have a car, but I'm going to choose to walk today. I don't disown the car because I choose to walk. Jesus doesn't disown who He is because He chooses to walk in the power of the Spirit. He just chooses to do it in a way that can be replicated. Because if He pours out that same Spirit on us, then we get the same ability. Wow, there's like three of us that believe that. If He pours out the same Spirit on us that was given to Jesus, we therefore can do the same things. Okay, a few more of us believe it. Let me say it one more time and we can get everybody believing it. If He pours out the same Spirit on us that was poured out on Jesus, then we can do what Jesus did. There we go. We're getting there. Gary, you didn't say amen. I was watching you. Kidding. I, I don't know. I wasn't watching him. It's dangerous to sit in the front row. You notice I don't pick up my wife though. No, but, but I want you to think about it. We, we are a Pentecostal church, and around here, that, we think when you say Pentecostal, that means something about here on the ladies, and that's not what being Pentecostal means. 
Being Pentecostal means that we believe in the active involvement and presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm going to preach a series on that in the not-too-distant future because if we're going to be Pentecostal, we've got to understand what that means. What it means is we believe we can walk and step with and in the power of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. Not in ways that are weird, not in ways that are crazy, but in ways where the Spirit walks with us and when I'm at work, the Spirit can say, hey, go talk to that person and tell them this. When I'm, when I'm at home, I can pray over things and God can do incredible signs and wonders. Jesus was powered not by his own divinity, but he was powered by the Holy Spirit and that same Holy Spirit has been promised to us. Don't be afraid, people. Don't be afraid. Listen, I told you I yell at the TV screen. I know some of you yell at the TV screen and you're giving me blank faces right now. If I can't get excited about Jesus then I shouldn't get excited about the Green Bay Packers. I have no idea what they were doing on draft day, but that's another message. Jesus' ability comes from the Holy Spirit. Through the Spirit, we bear fruit, Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want those things. They come from the Spirit. Through the Spirit, we are given gifts for service. In 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 6 and Ephesians 4, they talk about the different types of gifts that are given to the church, but ultimately all of these things are, are, are to be recognized, that we have been given gifts. Each one of you has been given gifts by the Father. None of you were missed. They may need to be refined. As a church, that's part of our job. We want to recognize your giftings. We want to refine those giftings. We might need to prepare you for service. We might need to empower you for service. But everybody has a gift that can be used. It may need to be refined. That's okay. That's what we're here for. And then finally, we're meant to be released. We all have a role to play in the church. No one gets to show up and do nothing. It's not how Jesus is wired. The kingdom is less when that's our mindset. Through the Spirit, we've been given gifts for service. Through the Spirit, we are empowered to witness. Acts 1.8, Acts 2.4, Luke 24. It says we are clothed, we are endued with power. Acts 1.8 says the power of when the Spirit comes upon us, we'll receive power. Romans 8 says the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I tap into that nearly as much as I should. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave. He was dead. Dead, dead. Not kind of dead, not sort of dead, not mostly dead. He was dead. Dead, dead. Real dead, actual dead. Dead, dead. And he came back to life. That same power lives in us when we have the Spirit. We want to build a house that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to use our God-given gifts and the Spirit's power to make Jesus truly known. A whole purpose of that power is not so that we are superior, not so that we can run around speaking in tongues, not so that we can have a spiritual superiority complex. The whole reason for the giving of that Spirit of power is so that we can make Jesus known to people who don't know Him. There's nothing like walking up to somebody with a word of wisdom from the Lord and saying, hey, is this right? And watching their face turn pale. How, how did you know that? How, what, 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 how, what, how, what? There's nothing like saying, hey, Jesus is alive and well, and he told me to tell you that he loves you today. Hey, Jesus wants you to know something today. There's nothing like being the mouthpiece of Jesus. All of this empowering of the Holy Spirit is so that we can introduce people to Jesus. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. We want to be empowered to be witnesses is what access. Sixth thing, last one. He is attractive to real people. I struggle with this word attractive. I thought, is that really how you want to talk about Jesus? Is that really the right word? Because the Bible says he was ugly. Well, well, didn't say he was ugly. Just said there was nothing about his appearance that would draw people to him. He was, he was plain. He was a dude. That's what it says. And yet, people saw Jesus 
as the solution to their situation. People saw Jesus as a source of hope and change. People saw Jesus as a connection point between them and God. People thought so highly of him, they chased him down in the wilderness. There were over five, said 5,000 men. And that's the first one. The second one had several more thousand. They chased him into the wilderness. This blows my mind. He's out in the field. Thousands of people are chasing after him out in the field. Why? Because they saw in him something that they wanted so badly, they were willing to walk hours to go get. When's the last time somebody chased you down and said, what's different about you? When's the last time somebody said, hey, hey, there's something funny with you. What's going on with you? When's the last time chased you into a field to say, you tell me about Jesus? It's never happened to me. But wouldn't it be awesome if people were like, hey, you go to First Assembly. I heard that place knows Jesus. I heard there's something different about that place. I have forgotten how many churches there are in Bedford, Indiana. Good Lord Almighty. You throw a rock and hit a church. Not even a, like me throwing a rock. I hit a church. What's going to set us apart is the Jesus that is in us, is attractive to real people. I love the kind of people that chased him down. They're just like you and me. They're all a bunch of sinners. You notice the religious and holy people didn't like Jesus. Tax collectors, prostitutes, fishermen, they came running. They were like, Jesus, I'm going to chase you to a field. 5,000 men. They, they guesstimate somewhere between ten and 15,000 people ran into a field to hear Jesus preach. Blows my mind. Jesus was attractive to real people. Sometimes I think we think we have to be a certain way, either, either no spirituality or over-spirituality. I want to hit that middle ground where I'm just the right spirituality, where people say, there's something different about you. There's something about you that catches my attention. There's something about you that I can't get away from. There's something about you that looks different, sounds different, feels different. I know you're a human. I know you're not perfect, but there's something about you that I can't quite grasp, but you know what? I like it. I I like what you're about. I like the way you treat people. I like the way you think. I like the way you react to things. Jesus was attractive to real people. I want us to be attractive to real people. Somebody walks in who doesn't know Jesus and leaves thinking, well, I'm not sure about all those, this, this Jesus business, but those people were cool. Amy gets up and will do and welcome our first-time visitors. It's one thing if Amy and I welcome first-time visitors. It's a whole other deal when you do it. right? When somebody comes in, it needs to matter that they came. If they can't hardly get out the door because people are like, hey, I don't know you, man. It's good to see you. It's nice to have you here. What kind of statement would that make? We're out in public and we're just nice. We like smile and stuff. You know some of those Christian people, you've all met them. Some of the most miserable people I've ever seen. I love Jesus a lot. Okay. That's great. I don't, where do you go to church? Because I don't want to go there. We've all been there. Jesus was actually attractive to real people, yet he was the most spiritual person. You're gonna, I mean, he's doing miracles. He's doing all kinds of stuff, but people are chasing him down because there was something real. There was something genuine. There was something authentic about him. Jesus was attractive to real people. We want to build a church. I want to build a house where people are drawn into and launched out from. A place of authentic worship and relationship with God. A place of genuine connection and belonging with one another. A place of real growth and increasing freedom. A place to be active and effective part of the body. A place to be sent out from. We want to be that kind of house. I want to I close this morning. We want to build a house. Throw the next one up. We want to build a house that's united with the Father. 
We want to build a house that's listening and acting on His words. We want to build a house that's committed to, his, to the Father's will. We want to be propelled by our Father's heart. We want to be empowered by the Spirit. I don't know why I cut it off, but the last one is I want to be attractive to real people. We want to stay close. We want to listen well. We want to dig deep. And we want to build a house on the rock. I don't know what kind of church you're looking for. I don't know what you thought when you hired us, but the blueprint, his name is Jesus. I want to draw and stay close to him. I want to listen well to him. I want to dig deep into his things, and I want to build a house. I want to construct. I want to restore. I want to make able. I want to build on Jesus, the rock. There's nothing special about Amy and I. There is something special about Jesus, and that's who we're going to build on. The blueprint is Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I know this message hasn't really been a message about accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but if you're here this morning, I began by saying the first step is to draw close to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you've walked away from Jesus. I just want to take a moment. We're not going to draw it out. We're not going to go for a long time. But I don't ever want to close a service without giving opportunity. Maybe you're here and you know I need to draw close to Jesus. I'm not going to make you come down. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I would like to pray for you. And if that's you, you would say, Pastor, I need to draw close to Jesus. Maybe you've never known him. Or maybe you've known him and walked away. If that's you, I would love to pray for you. The only way I can know to pray for you is if you just slip up your hand. So would you do that this morning quickly? You're here, and you know you need to draw close to him. Anyone in this room this morning? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Thank you, sir. Beginning a relationship with Jesus is very simple. You invite him in. Jesus, will you come close? And there's a lot of other things, and I'd love the opportunity to talk with you, but it begins very simply. By saying, Jesus, I invite you into my life. Will you come? Will you be present? For those of us that knew him and have wandered away, it's also just as easy. Jesus, I know you. I've known you. And I want to know you again. Father, you see those that have raised their hands, and you see maybe some that haven't raised their hands, but they know they needed to. Father, it's all about drawing close to you. For each one that raised their hand this morning, I pray over them now. As they raise their hand, it's a testimony to say, I need to draw close to Jesus. Will you reveal yourself to them? Will you reveal yourself in ways that they can see and know, understand? Even now, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon them a spirit that draws, a spirit that encourages, a spirit that strengthens, and yes, at times, a spirit that convicts us. But Lord, will you begin with the drawing and the encouraging and the strengthening? Father, I pray for each one that's raised their hand. Father, that they wouldn't just leave and go back, but Lord, that they would take a moment and think about what they've done. Father, for all of us, we want to be a house Oh, we want to be a house that looks like Jesus. Father, help us. Help us to die to self. Help us to dig deep. Help us to stay close. Help us to listen. Help us to build. Help us to know what our giftings are. Help us to refine those giftings. Help us to be released in those giftings. Father, we want to build this house. We want to build your house on the rock who is Jesus. So, Father, today, help us all to stay close. Father, today, Help us all to listen and to know your voice. Help us all to begin acting on what you say.
Help us to increasingly look like Jesus. Lord, as we all go from this place today, will you go with us? Will you walk with us through the remainder of this week? Lord, draw us back again on Wednesday. Lord, walk in whatever way we need. Be close this week, I pray. I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. As you go this morning, why don't you greet a few people around you and uh, make them feel welcome. And if you see someone you don't know, why don't you introduce yourself to them. God bless you as you go this morning.